Welcome to the Open Apple Podcast, where we celebrate the Apple II. Whether you're a longtime user, a nostalgic visitor, or a newcomer to the community, join us as we share news and memories of Steve Wozniak's most famous personal computer. Coming to you alive from under the Channel 9 TV broadcasting tower in Narrenburn, New South Wales, Australia, high on a sugar rush after a six-year-old's birthday party, I'm Andrew Rowan, and with me in Apple II Kindred Spirit, is your host for episode 14 of the Open Apple Podcast, Mike McGuinness. G'day, Mike. Hello, Andrew. How are you? Doing very well, thanks. So, Andrew, uh, you're joining us for another month here. It's a little unusual. Um, what's going on? Well, I had so much to talk about last month, and I just didn't get it all in. And, you know, Ken not having any original material and all, I thought I'd, I'd come back. So, here I am. Well, great. Um, what have you been up to? been a lot happening in my Apple II life in the last month. I've been scanning manuals for what is the Apple IIGS. I've been scanning Australian Apple Review magazines for Bill Martin's project. I had a box of goodies arrive from America, which I had previously sent to a certain individual and had then had on-forwarded, which included a FireWire EyeSight camera and a few scans and a few odd programming books. Oh, neat. I've had... Um, a few people give me feedback on the Marinetti open source project that um, required me to do some work during the month. I've fixed a fixed a bug, and we'll hopefully see a product coming out with that fix in it real soon now. Oh, cool. I can't wait to see that. I'm a big fan of the Marinetti project. So uh, what have you been up to, Mike? Um, well, Apple II-wise, I've been scanning away. I, I've mentioned on the show before that Randy Brandt has given me a bunch of uh, magazines to scan, so I've... I've picked up on that project, um, and hopefully by the time this goes live, at least one of those magazines will be available on apple2scans.net. And other than that, it's been kind of a quiet month for me. I had some feedback come back in from last week's, last month's show. Oh, from our show, really? Care to share it with us? One fellow Australian was flying between Beijing and Shanghai over rural China, listening to the podcast, and was uh, glad to hear a, a familiar voice. So we are truly global. Indeed. Nice. I had some more feedback from a, a friend that I used to play the complex with. He wrote in to, uh, to say how he enjoyed the show, and uh, it was good to be put back in contact with him. Great. And out of that com communication, we started thinking about how it might be nice to, to get the complex back online, perhaps Marinetti enabled. Oh, really? If I get my uh, my act together, maybe we'll see something along those lines soon. Oh, that'd be very cool. I know that uh, uh, that was something that, that Ken was interested in way back when. It's too bad he's not here to talk about that. It's a bummer, but, you know, we all got to move on. Uh, the other big news this month was uh, Apple released a, a new product. Yes, uh, the, the iPad 3. I've seen one in the office. Um, a colleague brought one in. Well, actually, it was delivered at 9 a.m. on the dot. Really? And what, what, what is your initial impression of the, the new iPad? The display looks really nice. Uh, I was very impressed. He was comparing it with his, uh, his work monitor, desktop monitor, and uh, was uh, wondering how he was going to be able to look at the fuzziness of the desktop monitor after having studied the, uh, the iPad screen for any length of time. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard that it's, uh, it's a really amazing thing. We, we tried to play a trick on him. We knew it had arrived because he just looked up the, um, the delivery details and seen that it had been delivered. And so I rang up the, um, the receptionist and I said, hey, do us a favor, hide the box. <laughs> say, say, say it hasn't <laughs> arrived yet. 
And when he, when he, <laughs> when he got downstairs, unfortunately, she didn't want to play along and he was handed the, handed the package. But I wasn't the only one. There was somebody also down there trying desperately to hide the box from him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they weren't kidding. <laughs> um, hmm, okay. This is sort of strange. I'm getting another call here on Skype. Um, but it says unknown caller. Um, well, I'll just hit the ignore button here. Uh, what were you saying? I noticed there was some feedback on Compsys Apple II, actually, from um, probably a, a listener mentioning that they'd done something with Jace um, MIDI support, I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah I remember, hang on, this call's coming through again. Um, let me, maybe I should pick this up. Uh, Hello, Mike. Uh, uh, who, who is this? Who the hell do you think it is? And what are you doing to my podcast? Oh, God, it's Ken. Is that Andrew I hear on that show? No, no, it's not. Ugh. Well, I I don't have an, an ex... Mike, you stay out of this. This is between him and me. Uh, Ken, um, well, gee, what a surprise. Yeah, I bet it's a surprise, not a pleasant one for either of us. What are you doing on my show? Well, you know, last month you said that you, you know, might have to take a break. So Mike and I got together to, um... To, to come up with some original material. Yeah, yeah, I can hear that, and you're doing a terrible job of it. You know, you're welcome on the show once. That doesn't mean you're welcome back any time, and I think now you have worn out your welcome. Uh, but Ken, but uh, Mike and I were having such a great time. I don't want to go. Well, that's too bad, Andrew. And if you're not willing to go, then I guess I'm just going to have to make you. Ah! No, 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 please, no, let me stay. Ken, I, I want to stay. Mike, Mike, do something. Mike, Mike. Sorry, Andrew. But you've been terminated. All right, let's do this show the way it's meant to be done. From Chatterbox Video Game Radio, my name's Alon. And this is Ara. And you're listening to Open Apple. Well, I suppose I can let Mike back on the show if he promises to behave. Mike? Yes, Ken? Now, this is going to be a typical Open Apple show the way it was meant to be, all right? Fine, you win. And that means starting off with bringing on yet another amazing member of the Apple II community. And this month, we have Brian Peachy. Hi, Brian. How are you? How's it going, guys? Hey, Brian. Big fan of the show. Thanks for inviting me on. Well, thank you for coming. I remember you were one of our very first listeners sending feedback when we launched back in February of last year. And I still remember seeing when you posted on Vintage Computer, Ken, uh, it was up there in the Apple section. I was like... An Apple II podcast? Are you kidding me? Uh, so, yeah, I immediately uh, jumped on board that. But for as long as we've been doing this podcast, I think you've been doing even more voluminous work in another media, which is what brought you to our attention. Tell us about your work on YouTube. Yeah, so um, I guess it's been probably close to a year or maybe a little bit over a year that I've been posting these uh, Apple II reviews on there. And, uh, you know, it kind of started with just, you know, me um, – Basically, getting an Apple IIGS uh, for the first time in a long time. I had one, obviously, growing up, but um, after I left for college and uh, my dad basically um, sold the Apple IIGS without me knowing, or, or I shouldn't say sold, oh. he gave it to Goodwill. Well, I guess that's better than just selling it. Yeah, I was uh, pretty devastated about that. Um, and so a few years go by, and then uh, just a couple years back, I, I got my Apple IIGS. And so, yeah, you know, I went on YouTube to just basically uh, see what videos were out there on all the amazing software that's available on the platform and uh, was a little bit uh, shocked that there really wasn't that much content. Um, it kind of seemed like the Apple II and the, the 2GS were a little bit underrepresented when you compare it to other 
computers, comparable computers like the Amiga and Atari and DOS, of course. So how do you choose what videos to do? Because you've done hardware, you've done software. Uh, it seems to be focusing on games, but even then, how do you choose which games? Yeah, you know, um, when I first kind of started it, I basically was just doing games that, that I grew up on, uh, that I had a lot of nostalgia for and basically just wanted to, you know, share that with the audience. And um, after that, I it's kind of just random. Um, you know, sometimes uh, someone will recommend a game. There's games that I actually never played, um, you know, in my youth, and I, I'm only now discovering or have recently discovered. And so uh, I'll typically just, you know, share it if I think it's a pretty cool game or, or even software. And then, uh, and you mentioned hardware. I, I typically share hardware videos, you know, as I get them. So like if, uh, you know, I got that Apple II, um, that CD-ROM drive for, uh, for a Macintosh, but I had never did that before. Uh, I had never set it up with an Apple II before. And so I thought, hey, this is pretty cool. I'm going to share it with the group. And um, uh, like when I also had my Apple II network into a Macintosh, you know, that's, again, something I had never done before. And so uh, basically a couple of days after I did that, I wanted to share it with uh, you know, the members of uh, the Apple II community and, and show them what it looks like. What sort of a setup are you using to record these videos? It looks like you're not using emulation. Yeah, I, I try to stay away from emulation uh, as much as I can, and it's it's not really for the viewer's benefit so much as for me. I just that's the way that I, I like to play games and I like to experience it. You know, there's just something about playing it on the actual hardware that the games were designed for. It's just a, it's kind of a cool experience and a, definitely a lot of nostalgia for me. So, so basically, yeah, I just set it up with, uh, you know, a tripod, and I uh, got a little cheap little camera and just point it toward the monitor and, uh, you know, picks up the audio fairly well. Um, for some videos that really I want to demonstrate just, you know, the powerful uh, sound system, the, the sound chip of the Apple IIGS, I will use emulation just so you can actually hear the stereo uh, effects of it. But uh, for the most part, like 99% of my videos, um, I actually just, yeah, videotape my hardware. And if I may ask specifically, what video camera are you using? So I'm actually uh, using a cheap little camera, a, a Sony Cybershot 12.1 uh, megapixels. Uh, got it a, a few years back for, for Christmas from my, my parents. And uh, it's really more to be used as a camera, but I use it as a, a video camera. And you're satisfied with it? Yeah, I think it's decent. Um, I could definitely probably invest in a, a better uh, camera. Uh, to really get the the full effect of the Apple IIGS and, and the sound quality, but I think it's uh it's doing pretty well so far. The reason I ask is because I do a lot of video recording at Kansas Fest, which is my only experience doing that. Which so I don't have a lot of insight into what hardware is out there that's good yet affordable. So I'm always looking for recommendations, and I I certainly like what you've been putting out on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, uh, the only real gripe that I have with this camera is the uh, the battery life on it is just really pretty pathetic. It's like uh, probably about an hour and some change uh, before I have to charge the battery back up. Hmm, that's not great. Um, but aside from that, yeah, it's it's not too good. I mean, that's when you're, you know, basically uh, videotaping the entire time. Uh, you can <laughs> pause it, and if I'm just using it for uh, the camera mode, it, it'll definitely last longer than that. But, yeah, that's really the only... Uh, the only downside to that camera, I would say, in addition to just the you know diminished quality. Well, well, I mean, I think the quality is great, and I would go so far as to say that you are the Matt's Macintosh of the Apple II world. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Yeah, actually, I, I'm a subscriber to 
to Matt as well. I love his videos. Uh, but his videos, I mean, he knows all about video editing and all the software, that whole industry. So uh, I do appreciate you comparing me to him, but uh, he's <laughs> definitely uh, way above me as far as that, that level of uh, quality of video. Now, you mentioned you had an Apple II GS growing up and that your father sold it. Was that your first computer? That was the, the very first computer I ever had. Um, actually, it was really the first computer I recall ever using. I grew up in um, basically uh, the Sierra foothills in a place called Garden Valley, a uh, population of like 500 or something at the time. And it was really just out there kind of in the sticks. And, uh, and so, yeah, there were no computers at the school that I went to, the elementary school. And um, one day, my uh, my dad brought home an Apple IIGS, and uh, it's the first computer I ever used. And uh, you know, obviously, I used it for you know some productivity tools like Paint Shop and uh, Apple Works. But it was the games that really uh, just took all my time on that computer, uh, playing King's Quest and Space Quest and Thexter and all the classics. Mm-hmm. Fond memories of doing that. <laughs> and what? were you using when he got rid of it, your Apple IIGS? Obviously, that wasn't your main machine anymore. Yeah, I mean, we used that for a while, and then uh, our family moved to, to Sacramento, um, and then basically, I think it would probably be around, around uh, 1995, 96, uh, we had a, a Packard Bell with Windows 95, and that was the uh, next machine that we used, and the IIGS was put in storage. And when he got rid of it, did you lose a lot of data from that? Oh, when he got rid of the the two GS? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it was uh, it was devastating. Um, I just remember. I mean, I've always had fond memories of that system, uh, even throughout college. I you know I kind of remembered it, and so I knew when I graduated um, and I got a, a decent place, you know, that I could actually store it, and uh, that I was going to go and you know get back my two GS and all the software and everything. And uh, I had so much software, um, boxes and boxes of software, and uh, yeah, so I definitely lost all that software and all those memories, um, and then all the files that I had saved. So, you know, I was pretty pretty mad at him for a little <laughs> bit of cussing probably went on. Um, but, you know, you move on. And uh, off to eBay I went and uh, got my, it was actually a WAS edition. Yes, the, the very, very rare, you never see those, WAS edition computers. <laughs> Only like 50,000 of them or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I got that machine, and uh, that's, that was, that's the first 2GS machine that, I got since since I was a kid, and uh, since then I've obviously grown that collection quite a bit, and I have more now than I ever did uh, as a child, and uh, also have you know Apple II Pluses and Apple II Cs and II Es and all that stuff, the whole collection. How many Apple IIs would you say you have? Um, Apple II is probably about twelve or thirteen. And, <laughs> and <laughs> but but you grew up with just one model. I the grew 2GS, up with right? just the one model. Um, yeah, I, I actually used an Apple IIe when when I moved to Sacramento. Um, it would have been in my like fifth grade class, I think it might have been. Um, we had an Apple IIe sitting in the corner, and uh, and so I did play that machine as well. I remember playing uh, Moon Patrol on that, and uh, and of course Oregon Trail. And so I definitely had fond memories on that. That was a monochrome screen, uh, so that's kind of the way that I remember playing a lot of those eight bit games in the classroom. So you have no interest in Commodore 64 or anything else that has no nostalgia value for you? Yeah, I still have an interest in it, but it doesn't have the same effect. Um, and I think I think anybody that's kind of the same way, right? I mean, everybody remembers their first computer, and they're always going to have uh, this connection with it, uh, this, this, you know, the nostalgia that comes with it. I do definitely, uh, I have a, a Commodore 64, and I, 
I definitely respect that machine and, of course, all the, the games that came with it, a huge game library. Um, and I have a Commodore Amiga and Atari and a couple old PCs. Uh, but it's the 2GS that I, I definitely always come back to, uh, even though it doesn't have, obviously, the same game library uh, as those other machines. Um, it just has that connection uh, that I'm drawn to. So what video are you working on next? You know, I was just thinking about that uh, this morning, what video I want to do. And uh, I was thinking about doing Prince of Persia. That would be very timely. Yeah, it would be very timely. Um, and so I definitely would have to, to spend a lot of time and, uh, you know, basically go through. I don't know if I'll go through the whole game or maybe I'll just play a few uh, the first few levels. Um, but I finally got a boxed copy of that game, uh, which I've been looking for for a long time. Uh, but I got it for a really good deal locally. Uh, just uh, recently, so uh, I like to, if I can, I like to actually show the original box that these games came in. Uh, obviously, it's not possible for certain games, uh, just because they're so rare, or or maybe they never came with a box if it's like a shareware game or something. Hmm. But uh, yeah, that's that's. I'm thinking I might do that, um, or I may even do uh, Visicalc. Uh, I don't <laughs> think that there's, yeah, I, no, seriously, I don't think there's Gripping. any video on uh, on Visicalc and uh, just how important that application was uh, that it really you know kick-started the Apple II into mainstream and so I was thinking about doing a video on that too but that would be a little bit later I think have you ever run the PC version of VisiCalc I have not you can download it for free from Dan Bricklin's website is that right oh that's cool yeah there was uh, I may have mentioned this before on the show but there was one time when I was a high school teacher and the computer science teacher called in sick asked me to fill in for her she hadn't left me a lesson plan however as a contingency, I had previously installed on all the lab PCs VisiCalc, so I spent the day teaching all my 16-year-olds how to use VisiCalc. Oh, too cool. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you think so. They thought it was too cruel. But is it basically the same application? I mean, were there any... No, it's absolutely the same. You know, yeah. like, to, qu to quit, you press slash S-Q-Y. That's the quit sequence. I mean, I, which I don't is... think any amount of hardware can really make it better than one version over the other. It's not really... True. Much to see. <laughs> yeah, my students were asking, Mr. Gagne, how come the mouse doesn't work? And I'm like, what mouse? Visical predates the mouse. And so on the like, PC, did you have to hit the space bar in order to, to go down and go yes. up? Yes, yes. Oh, funny, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they were not fond of me after that. So all this video work that you do, does this tie into your day job, if you want to talk about that? Uh, not at all, actually. <laughs> uh, my... <laughs> My day job, um, I'm a, I'm basically, I'm a business consultant for a software company, and I, I mainly train new clients on how to use uh, the software, uh, basically as an administrator, how to manage security, um, and uh, and how to operate the system. It's it's kind of like a human resources uh, software suite that I, that I help uh, implement, and so I travel a lot, um, and so I was actually mentioning to, to you guys just before the podcast that I actually just got in today at about 1:30 in the morning. Uh, due to uh, delayed flights over and over again. And I tell you, Chicago O'Hare, if you can avoid that airport, yeah. uh, please do. I mean, I, I swear, every time I go there, uh, it's like that. And so I was liter literally sitting on the runway in Chicago for uh, two and a half hours uh, just because of weather conditions or, or something like that. Yeah, I was in Chicago just two weeks ago. My flight was delayed an hour, which almost caused me to miss my connecting flight in Boston. But fortunately, it all worked out. Oh, that, that is fortunate. Yeah, actually, one of the first times I traveled for this uh, for this company, I was traveling to New York in the, the White Plains area, and I uh, had to connect through Chicago, and uh, actually uh, had a delayed flight, and I missed my connection, um, and so I had to jump on another flight, 
Um, and so I ended up having to go to a different airport. I was going, I was trying to go to, I think it's Westchester Airport, but I ended up having, I went to uh, LaGuardia. Um, but my actual um, luggage was sent to the original destination. It was sent to Westchester Airport. And so I'm at the uh, LaGuardia Airport without my luggage. And of course, my GPS is in my luggage. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I got a, got a rented car and my company, let's just say they're a little tight on the budget. And so uh, I couldn't even purchase that, uh, the GPS. So called up the girlfriend and, um, basically, you know, it was like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night going through New York, never been to New York, uh, traveling all the way from LaGuardia up, uh, to Westchester, Chester, uh, White Plains area. And so, uh, yeah, she was very patient with me and I do appreciate that because there was a lot of, uh, cussing going on, uh, for sure. Just because I was all stressed out of my mind. Well, I hope your workplace makes up for all this frustration by letting you have an Apple II on your desk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's the benefit is uh, I do travel a lot, but um, I do have the home office. I don't have to travel to an actual uh, office. And so, yep, I got the 2GS huh. always sitting there. And, uh, of course, during uh, lunch breaks and whatnot, maybe I'll play a, a quick game or two on there. So that is that is definitely a benefit. So I think it, it all works out. Get what's new and exciting in retro computing with two news. Lean off the news this month, as we have often, because it's one of the highlights of our year, is Kansas Fest. Registration for the world's premier Apple II convention has opened. The event will be held July 17th to the 22nd in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm sorry. Registration prices through June 1st are $375 for a double room, $445 for a single room, or $270 for just a room without the conference, or just the conference without a room, in case you want to stay off campus. These prices are $10 more than last year. The prices also go up after June 1st, at which point prices are also $10 above what they were last year after June 1st. We also have several sessions already on the docket, including a History of Apple Works by Randy Brandt, a look at the Apple II demo scene by Andy Malloy, an Apple II Roadshow by Tony Diaz. I will be running a workshop where we brainstorm a Kickstarter project for the Apple II community, as well as how to build your own Apple II website using WordPress. Brian, I haven't seen you at KFest before. Do you think this might be your first year? I'm, uh, I'm actually hoping it will be, um, just because I'm not able to you know, request time off that far in advance during the summertime, because it's uh, one of our peak you know, business times. Uh, but I will know by basically the first week of June if I can come out there, and I'm definitely hopeful that I will. Well, try to figure it out a week earlier than that if you can, just to make sure you get the early bird prices. Definitely, yep. When did you first hear about Kansas Fest? How long has it been on your radar? Uh, I knew, I, I found out about it before last year's Kansas Fest, and that's actually when I first uh, heard about Kansas Fest. And uh, yeah, ever since I've heard about it, I mean, it's 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 definitely something that I, I want to go to, especially I, I think John Romero is going to be a, a key note speaker at this uh, year's Kansas Fest, correct? That's right. He kicks off the event Wednesday afternoon, and in fact, just this past week, he announced his engagement to Brenda Brathwaite, who will also be at the event. Yeah, that would just be so cool to to meet him in person and just, you know, basically meet everybody that's in the Apple II community that, you know, is that devoted to the system um, and to the legacy of that system to, you know, to go there and hang out with each other and have workshops and uh, all that kind of stuff. It just seems like a really cool, really cool uh, thing to do. Yeah, and I heard that the entire cast and crew of the Retro Computing Roundtable podcast will also be there. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to do a live show, if we're going to do a live show. Uh, last summer we did open megahertz, 
I think it was called, with Carrington. But if we were doing uh, 1 megahertz open Apple and the Retro Computing Roundtable, I don't know if that would be like open Retro Table Hertz or something. We'll figure it out. But before we get to Kansas Fest, there's another retro computing convention coming up very soon. Vintage Computer Festival East 8.0 lineup was announced uh, earlier this month on the Classic Computing List. Uh, I didn't see these entries on the actual web page, um, but it's in their, um, it's in the VCF, or I'm sorry, it's in the Classic Computing um, mail list archive, and we'll have a, a link to that in the show notes. Um, and I, this is, I kind of wish that I was going this year because there are a lot of, there's some interesting topics here that, that, um, there's some topics here that, that I would definitely be interested in seeing and I'm just not going to be able to make it, so. What sort of topics are on the schedule? Well, there's one that's the intro to vintage software restoration by Bill Degnan. Um, and there's the 8-bit chiptune music, how it's done session. Um, and uh, Mike Willigle is going to have a session on Apple II maintenance. They have a couple of keynote speakers, right? Isn't one of them the inventor of AppleSoft Basic? Well, one of them is the inventor of Basic, uh, Tom Thomas Kurtz, which I think that happened in at uh, Dartmouth University in the '60s, if if I recall. And uh, of course, uh, Dan Dan Kotke is also going to be there. That's right. That was Steve Jobs' travel buddy through India. Uh, that's right. Yeah, I and mean, he was an early. Early Apple technician uh, worked on the Apple II, the Apple III, um, and some of the other early machines. Brian, remind me where you are located geographically. I'm in San Diego, California. Oh, so that's not too far from the Vintage Computer Festival West that they've had, right? Uh, I don't know. Where is that located? Is it in San Francisco? Yeah, that's usually up in uh, San Francisco. Oh, so maybe it is kind of a ways. It's about 500 miles, so uh, <laughs> a little bit of a drive, yeah. Well, you got to remember, I'm calling from New England, where everything is an hour away. I know it's fine. You know, I do the same thing. Like when I'm in when I'm in Texas traveling, I might have a friend that's in Dallas, and I'm in Houston or something or Austin, and I think it's like, you know, the next city over. Um, it's like, no, that's uh, you know, three four hours away. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I, f- I found that out last summer in Colorado. I mean, uh, granted, you can get to Boulder or Colorado Springs pretty easily, but a- anything after that, like Aspen or anywhere else, is yeah, you're gonna be in the car for a while. Yeah, exactly. So you haven't been to VCF before then? I have not, no, but I'd uh, definitely uh, like to, to do that. Or even the you know, the East uh, Division of it. I, I was thinking that I'd be traveling during that time, and I was going to be in New Jersey, um, but unfortunately that was canceled. But if that was the case, oh, I would have taken an extra day to, to check that out. Yeah, I mean, you would have been right there. That would be perfect time. Oh, yeah. But um, hmm. nope, as it stands um, out here. And uh, I don't know if you know, but I'm actually pretty close to some other uh, notable Apple II people, like Vince Briel. Uh, he's within like 30, I think 30 minutes from me in San Diego. Oh, have you ever actually met him out there? I haven't, but uh, but I spoke to him on vintagecomputer.com and uh, realized that, and I definitely want to make a trip out there. And then uh, Tony Diaz, and uh, I think he's in Southern California, and Tony Gonzalez, uh, who you may not know, but he's a, a musician that wrote the music for uh, Ultima 1 and Wolfenstein 3D for the 2GS. Yeah, I, I know the name, and I think I've seen him post on Facebook, but I've never met him myself. I definitely recognize his credit as a musician, though. Yep, so this is the place to huh. be, man. you got to come out here. <laughs> Maybe you should start Kansas Fest West. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. 
Well, I recently bumped into some other Apple II users at yet another convention. I was at the Smithsonian American Art Museum in Washington, D.C. for GameFest, which was the opening weekend of the Art of Video Games exhibition, which is running now through mid-September. It is a celebration of not the art that is in video games, but video games themselves as art. It was an interesting exhibition. There are five playable games, including uh, Monkey Island, Myst, Flower, Super Mario Brothers, and Pac-Man. And then there's another room that has 20 different computers and home systems with four games each, so 80 different games. They had you know, Nintendo, Atari... Uh, Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo. They had Commodore 64. I didn't see any Apples in there. And I'm wondering, I know that the games themselves were open for popular vote. That's how they decide what would be in there. But I don't think they actually let people choose what systems would be there. And I'm disappointed that the Apple wasn't represented. Yeah, that is very disappointing. And uh, and it just seems to be uh, so true, you know, in the gaming community. Uh, like I said, the Apple II definitely seems to get the short end of the stick. It's always underrepresented. Especially since it's such a fondly remembered game system as your own videos evidence. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it would be. Um, I mean, looking back at the, the late 70s, uh, there really weren't too many other gaming systems at all for, for you know, computer game systems, right? Um, and a lot of games actually uh, originated on the Apple II and they were ported over to other systems. So, yeah, it is surprising that, you know, the Apple II is not represented on a lot of forms. It doesn't have its own dedicated uh, gaming form, uh, like the Commodore 64, for example. You think that's surprising? I do. I, I do think it's surprising. Hmm. I'm somewhat curious, because especially in the in the 80s, um, I, I had a lot of Apple II friends, of course, but I also had friends who were, you know, into Atari and Commodore and things. And as the Apple II, the models of Apple II progressed, the graphics never really got much better and the sound never got better at all. Um, whereas when the Commodore 64 came out, it had a lot better sound, graphics, and, and even the Atari uh, home computer line had, had better multimedia capabilities. And, and so I think those machines sort of gained a, a larger following among home computer gaming aficionados than the Apple II. So games kind of were evolving on other platforms, but... Uh... It seemed like it was just kind of stagnant on the uh, Apple II, at least for the most part. Right. Yeah, that was that was sort of my impression growing up with an Apple II and seeing my friends with their their systems and going, "Gee, I wish my I wish my Apple had better sound than that." Right. And I and I agree. I mean, the hardware. If you look at the hardware of the you know original Apple II or the II Plus and compare it to the later models, there there weren't that many changes, right? Um, you didn't have a better sound chip or anything like that, of course, until the you know the Apple II GS. But uh, yeah, for the 8-bit Apple II, um, I, I totally agree. It doesn't seem like that much had changed in the hardware, uh, but there were some games, uh, obviously like Prince of Persia, that just totally um, you know set this set the system or, or basically pushed the system to its limits. Well, sure, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not saying there weren't great titles on there. I mean, I you know played the heck out of Ultima and. Wizardry and some of these other titles, but uh, just seeing, you know, the even like the, the the differences between the same title on on these other platforms and and seeing the kind of deficiencies uh, of the Apple II uh, was sort of frustrating, actually. You don't like hearing the fart noises on the Apple II compared to the C sixty four. Yeah, hearing that little little speaker toggle as as the only sound output was. <laughs> 
you know, and when, of course, when you're, when you're a kid and, and you're, you're arguing with your friends over who's got the best system, they could simply bring up the, the graphics and sound on the Apple. I really didn't have a re, I didn't really have a response for that. Yeah, because as kids, that's what we're most able to grasp as a concept. We don't talk about playability or control or replay value. Right. Our Apple II games had all those qualities in spades. Yep. We just didn't necessarily know it at the time. Yep. Right, yeah, it wasn't really until the 2GS that um, you had a system that was just completely different than the earlier models that, I mean, that sound chip, um, I mean, basically, I think you could have 15 simultaneous sounds. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's that's really remarkable, and I think I had 64K uh, of RAM dedicated, but, you know, as, as people, as programmers learn the system, they learn to really maximize that and actually exceed that 64 capacity, which made the sound chip uh, arguably the best sound chip of any 80s personal computer. Yeah. I think the other factor um, that may have held the Apple II back as far as a gaming machine uh, was the price of the machine? You know, it's people would buy the Commodore to play games. You know, and oh, I can also type a paper or something like that. Whereas, and, and the Commodore sixty four was I forget the exact price, but I know it was a heck of a lot cheaper than an Apple II. Um, whereas somebody would buy an Apple II as a home computer to do their budget to do their word processing, and oh, I could play a couple of games on it as well. Yeah, it's kind of strange with the Commodore Amiga for some reason. I had never even heard of that system, literally, until probably four or five years ago. Um, really? And, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because I lived out in Nowheresville <laughs> in the <laughs> 80s, and uh, they didn't really have that many computers. But, uh, yeah, when I discovered the Amiga and uh, what that was capable of, I mean, that pretty much blew me away. Um, but I think it's kind of the same for, for Amiga users, especially in Europe, um, where the, the 2GS was you know, very unpopular. I don't think that many people even heard of it. Um, out there, so it's kind of the, the same perspective that I have of the Amiga. Well, and it's not like Apple did a whole lot to promote the 2GS either. I mean, they, um, I, I, as I understand it, there was a lot of feeling even within Apple Computer that the 2GS was competing with the Macintosh because it had better sound and it had color and uh, it had a, a graphical user interface, and and so they kind of made the decision that they were going to push the Mac, which meant not pushing the 2GS. And then so it sort of ended up as this educational tool that uh, schools bought and used as really fast Apple IIEs and nothing else. Yeah, I mean, they pretty much did everything they, they could to destroy the system, destroy the Apple II line of computers. Yep. Uh, it's pretty sad. I mean, yeah, stock 2GS was pretty limited. Uh, it couldn't do a lot with it. I mean, it didn't even have, you know, stereo output capability out of the box, which is... Uh, really disappointing, but um, yeah, I mean, it's you pretty much had to rely on third-party suppliers uh, to really get the full benefit of the uh, Apple II GS and Apple II. Well, even if the Apple II sound hardware hasn't evolved over the years, we've nonetheless had artists who have found new ways to use it, like 8-Bit Weapon and their DMS drummer software, which we previously talked about. I finally got to meet them and see them play live at Game Fest. How was that? It, it was amazing. Seth Sternberger, who's half of 8-Bit Weapon, was on the advisory committee for the entire exhibition, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, apparently he's longtime friends with uh, Chris Melisinos, who was the guest curator for the exhibit. Uh, seeing 8-Bit Weapon perform live was great. They had, I don't know, they said this wasn't planned, but there were like a whole bunch of breakdancers who just busted out the wildest moves while they were playing. Oh, and, nice. That is awesome. I mean, I... Yeah, I'm definitely not any kind of dancer, except maybe contra dancing, and 
that would not be appropriate for this venue. But I always wondered, how does one dance to chiptune music? And, well, they showed me how. It's pretty cool. <laughs> now you know. Yeah. I conducted a whole video interview with Seth and Michelle. It's going to require some editing. I have no idea when I'm going to get it published. I promise them before the exhibit closes in September, or rather, that's when it goes on tour. Will you be giving instructions on these dance lessons in K-Fest? No. No, that won't be happening. <laughs> <laughs> Although it would be nice if I had that video ready in time for K-Fest, but it'll just be about five minutes. I did get video of the breakdancers to splice into the video. Uh, also at GameFest and the Art of Video Games were uh, Billy Mitchell, Nolan Bushnell, uh, Tommy Tallarico, David Crane. Uh, it was quite the all-star lineup of people that you'll probably never have heard of if you're not in the gaming industry or at least have an intense interest in computer and video games. And also while I was in the D.C. area in general, I got to see Jeff Weiss and Ian Johnson, who are both Kansas Fest alumni. Now, is Billy Mitchell a big a jerk as everyone says he is? <laughs> you know, I didn't stick around for the viewing of King of Kong that he was there for, but he seemed like a really nice guy. He gave me multiple copies of his autograph, gave me a big thumbs up. Let me get my picture taken with him. Walter Day of Twin Galaxies was also there. Nice. Uh, yeah, everybody I met was uh, very very sweet. They were actually there for the King of Kong? Yes. So I, 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 Everything I've heard was that they hated that movie and didn't want to have anything to do with it. They both signed my copy of King of Kong. Cool. Yeah. I thought that was a so, great movie. That movie actually uh, was kind of the catalyst for what got me back into gaming. Um, when I saw that, um, I actually went and finally got a, an arcade machine, a Galaga arcade machine, which was like my favorite arcade game. Oh, wow. Up. And, uh, nice. Yeah. I mean, it was, Can I come over? It was almost like fate because right after I saw that movie, I looked on Craigslist and uh, there was one listed locally, which like never happens. Uh, so I uh, picked that guy up. And, uh, and then after that, that's actually when I got my Apple 2GS and uh, went from there. Yeah. Can we come over? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I have it set to free play, of course. Uh, so you're welcome to it. <laughs> You do know there's a Galaga machine at Kansas Fest. Is that right? Oh, now now, now you really want me to go out there. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> one of those twin Galaga Miss Pac-Man machines, and they're both set to free play. If you go to Twin Galaxies, I'm actually uh, in the record books. I'm number 29 of all time. Thank On Galaga? Yep. Thank, thank wow. you very much. Uh, if you want out autographs, just uh, send in a check. It's a Brian Peaky, San Diego. I don't believe you. I'm Googling you right check now. Check it out. Check it out, man. I actually got a couple of records on Twin Galaxies, just stupid records that for games that nobody really cares about. Although there's a couple in there, like Mike Tyson's Punch Out for the NES, that I, I have a couple no of records in there. I, I'm tied with like 50 other people for. Um... The first name that comes up for you when I Google search <laughs> your name on that site is Ferrari Grand Prix Challenge. <laughs> exactly, for the Game Boy, right? I think so. And then, oh, here's props to Brian Peachy for two new marks in Mike Tyson's punch-out on the NES. First, Brian dropped Glass Joe in just 42 seconds. Wow. Secondly, Brian knocked out Von Kaiser in 38.99 seconds. <laughs> so I actually got that time down to 36 seconds, but then some jerk got 35.97 seconds on Von Kaiser. Oh. So now I'm down to two, and I pretty much have given up on that. There's no way I'm getting I think he's cheating. You don't have some, some hidden VHS tape waited, waiting to submit to Walter Day? Yeah. Nice. Walter Day, he actually signed one of my uh, records uh, certificate uh, for TNC Surf Designs. I don't know if you guys have ever even played that or heard of it. But that was actually the next hit for your name on Google Search. I remember that game very well. Yep, it's a game that most people uh, absolutely hated and probably wish they could <laughs> forget. 
I don't know. I'm kind of like a masochist when it comes to gaming. I like really challenging games that I can't really beat, and uh, I just uh, basically kept on playing that and uh, figured out the uh, the weird surfing levels. Uh, you know, pretty much how to master that. And I actually have a video online on my channel uh, if you want to see basically the strategy I use to to get 999,999 <laughs> points on TNC Surf Designs. If only I'd seen that in third grade. Uh, Ladies and and gentlemen, welcome to the Open Arcade Podcast. (laughs) Brian, are you a modern-day gamer? Do you have an Xbox 360 or anything? I do not. Uh, I have a couple of friends that do. I don't actually own too many consoles. Uh, Believe it or not, the newest console I have is an Xbox. Wow. uh, The original Xbox? Yep, and I basically use that uh, as an emulator to play like uh, Amiga games. And actually, there's a 2GS uh, emulator for Xbox as well. Yeah, I think Tony Diaz has brought that to K-Fest before. Yeah, he did. Well, if any of our listeners are Xbox 360 gamers and want to get a game in on me with me, my gamer tag is GameBits. You might want to email me first because I may not recognize your gamer tag, but always looking to connect with Apple II buddies. Actually, Brian, are, since you're a high scorer, are you familiar with the book High Score? I am, absolutely. Do you have the first or second edition? I have the first edition, and I, and I think there's a third edition, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> that they're trying to, to get out there. Is that right? Yes, and it will be coming out. Yeah, the first high score came out in 2002. It's written by Russell Demaria, and it is a, a visual history of computer and video games. There was a second edition, which I think I bought but never actually cracked open. I'm not sure why. But now the author is on Kickstarter, and he is asking for funding for a third edition of the book, and he's going to get it because out of his goal of $25,000, he so far has raised 32000 and he has three days left to go at the time of this recording. So that book will become a reality. Sweet. Awesome. Dude. Yeah, he has a ton of rewards, which is how Kickstarter works. You donate a certain amount, you get something in return. And a lot of them are priced at the same level, but they are different prizes. You get to have dinner with different people, like donate $250 and you get to have your choice of dinner with uh, Steve Moretzky of Infocom, John Romero of Doom and Quake and Kansas Fest, Bill Budge of Electronic Arts and Pinball Construction Set, and a whole bunch of others. And then if you donate even more, yeah, like donate $300 and you get to have dinner with Peter Molyneux of Black and White and uh, several other God games. Uh, $300 gets you Sid Meier of Civilization or Will Wright of SimCity. So uh, he has a lot of celebrity backing, and that is probably why this book will be coming out. It looks like he's looking for a November 2012 publication date. So Ken, Mike, let me ask you guys, uh, you ever heard of a game called Wasteland? Nope. I've heard of it, but I've never played it. Well, that is a shame, Ken. And Mike, you never heard of the game? (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Well, Wasteland was a pretty classic uh, game back in the late 80s. Uh, It originated on the uh, Apple II and I think the Commodore 64 um, it was created by Interplay, uh, Brian Fargo, you know, founder of Interplay. Uh, and he actually recently started uh, a Kickstarter to raise money to create Wasteland 2, an official sequel to Wasteland. Uh, there's already kind of a pseudo-sequel with the Fallout series, uh, but this is actually going to be an official sequel. And uh, I believe he has raised already enough money, if I'm not mistaken, um, to get that game started. And that, I mean, that just seems so cool to me to know that there is... A community out there, there's that kind of demand uh, to bring back those kinds of games, um, you know, with that kind of personality and creativity from 
Brian Fargo uh, onto newer consoles. So newer consoles. So when you say it's a true sequel, you don't mean it's for the Apple II? Unfortunately, I don't think he's going to have it available on the Apple II. Uh, yeah. Is that is that perhaps one of the rewards? Like if he raises enough money or you donate enough, you'll get an Apple II version? You know what? He has not commented on that, and I think I need to ask that guy about that. Yeah, somebody get him I on think the it should be. I think it should be on the Apple II, and it'll be ported from the Apple II. There you go. Crappier graphics. Apple II games actually make great iOS games. I could see that. I'm just saying. They made their goal in the, the initial goal of, what was it, a million dollars or something like that, almost in, I think, in the first 48 hours, and then anything ab- above that, because they asked for more, and then the closer they got to their, their second goal, the more features they were going to add to to this version of, of Wasteland. Yeah, one of the favorite milestones I had was if they were originally going to release this game for, for PC only, if they hit 1.5 million, they'd add Mac and Linux versions, and they've done it. So Nice. I, as a Mac gamer, will be able to get my hands on it. I don't think they're doing home consoles, though. I don't remember. Actually, I seem to recall that they said they wouldn't do an Xbox version, but I could be misremembering. Oh, is that right? Well, I said it, so it must be. (laughs) All right, so what I said earlier, scratch that. It's only going to be available for (laughs) computer versions. Which is too bad, because I like Mac games, but I prefer dedicated environments for games. When I'm on the Mac, I'm distracted by the Twitters and the emails, whereas when I'm on the Xbox, it's a game, and that's all I'm doing. Even if the interface is poor because you have a joystick instead of a keyboard, you know, with some creative controls, it's still doable. Have either of you backed this project yet? Nope, I have not. I have not. All my money goes to Jason Scott. (laughs) Well, he hasn't been on Kickstarter in a while, so that's no excuse. (laughs) I haven't backed this project yet, but I probably will just because if I donate 15 bucks, I'll get a copy of the game. I did the same thing with Tim Schafer's Double Fine adventure that we talked about last month. I waited until after they had raised about $3 million on a request of 400000 and then I donated just to make sure they made it. Uh, this Wasteland 2 project still has two weeks to go, so I've clicked the little remind me button so it'll send me an email notice when it's 48 hours down. By the way, Kickstarter just introduced in the last week or two a new feature where you can connect with your Facebook account and find your Facebook friends on Kickstarter and follow them. So every time they support a project, you get an email about it. And it really improves the discoverability. If you have friends whose interests are similar to yours, like I know, for example, Andy Malloy is on Kickstarter. He's the silent partner for Open Apple has been on the show a couple of times. So when he funds a project, it's usually something I want to fund too, and I might not have heard about it, except now I can. Hmm. Too bad it's Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't found a way to connect with Twitter, and actually I can't find a way to just find people right on Kickstarter and click a follow button. It seems to require that you find them through your Facebook account, which is weird. I must be missing something. No, I, hmm. I experienced the same thing. I was wondering if there's another way around that. Yeah, that seems to be an unfortunate trend these days that a lot of websites either require you to, to use your Facebook login to use them at all or to get anything, any kind of real integration or, or deeper use out of their service. You need, you need to connect to Facebook and I just, I won't do that. Yeah, if it's a service I trust, like Kickstarter, I'll let their app connect to my Facebook account, but then I'll immediately go and remove the app. But if it's somewhere else like you know, CNN or Amazon or Twitter, 
as far as they are concerned, I don't have a Facebook account. Right. I actually have spoken to a lot of retro computing enthusiasts about Kickstarter recently because I just wrote a story for Juice GS, the March issue of the last remaining Apple II print publication shipped today. Yay. <laughs> Why, thank you. No, it's cool because I have an interview in there, so... Yes, you had a voluminous interview. <laughs> Which you did a great job of trimming down, by the way. Thank you. Oh, well, we it took all three parties, both the interviewer, the interviewee, and the editor. Yeah. Uh, but that interview was with Randy Brandt, who is an AppleWorks legend. There's a story about how Kickstarter is benefiting the retro computing community, a review of DMS Drummer, a tutorial on how to program in Logo, a review of David Grealish's The Complete Historically Brewed, and much, much more. Now, Brian, how come you haven't subscribed yet? Yeah, Brian, what's up with that? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting on it right now. I, just because I don't subscribe to something doesn't mean I don't go to it like you know every day. Uh, like I got your uh, Apple Two Bits website bookmarked. And, uh, <laughs> well, thank you, sir. I appreciate absolutely. that. And, and I got to say, Ken, I feel a little bit ashamed because I didn't realize just how much you contribute to the Apple Two community. I was looking through that post that you had last week, and uh, wow, yeah. You have uh, basically no work-life balance there, and uh, yeah, shame on you for wanting to give up some of those things, right? <laughs> but, um, well, that's why he won the uh, one of the first uh, Apple II Forever Awards at Kansas Fest 2010, I think. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm, I'm getting a little embarrassed here, guys. <laughs> well, well, de- well deserved, Ken. No, seriously. Uh, thank you. Um, for, for those who didn't see that poll, I I've needed to cut back on some Apple II commitments and I'm having trouble identifying what those are because I love them all and I put up a poll just listing some of these things and I asked folks to vote which ones they get the most out of therefore that's a piece of information I can use and I certainly didn't mean to tout what I was doing and I didn't mean to promote or make people aware of what I was or wasn't doing in this community um, this is all stuff I do for fun, and nobody made me do it. And I, you know, I love having the opportunity to contribute in so many different ways. I mean, when we finish this podcast, I'm gonna be able to sit back and look at it and say, "Wow, we did something really cool with that," and I had such a great team to work with. I really appreciate being a part of this community, and I have no intention of diminishing that. But yeah, like Brian said, every now and then you just need to take a nap. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out and I'm confident that things will work out for the best for all uh, anyway, moving on there's one more gaming piece that is worth noting and this has been all over the interwebs in the past week and it seems to be something right up Brian's alley since he's apparently our resident game expert and we haven't talked about games enough yet this month hmm, does it have to do with Jordan Mechner? If that's how you're going to pronounce his name, then yes. <laughs> we're going to have that discussion again? No. Is this we're like not. the Karatika, Karatika? No, it's not. <laughs> Wait, how do you pronounce Mechner? That's how I pronounce it. Well, if the question is how do you pronounce Mechner, I would say Mechner because that's how you pronounce it. Ken, don't start with me, man. What is the proper pronunciation of Jordan's last name, Ken? I have no answer to that. I don't know okay. what the proper is. You'd have is to ask French? him. French? McNay? <laughs> <laughs> Je m'appelle Brion. <laughs> you, you keep calling him that for the rest of the episode, and we'll call it correct. All right, so... Ooh, we, can have, we can have Brian back next month when we have... Um, 
Antoine. <laughs> Antoine on it. He can talk to that, Antoine for us. That would be a brilliant segue <laughs> to Antoine. Hey, Brian, ask him. <laughs> and uh, Antoine, by the way, uh, he actually donated uh, one of my favorite games uh, for, for the Apple IIGS. It's actually a, a soft disc game, Legend of the Star Axe. And I had that originally growing up. Uh, my dad obviously gave that to Goodwill along with all my other stuff. And uh, Antoine oh, actually man. shipped that over to me. So uh, thank you, Antoine, if you're listening. Uh, much appreciated. So you'll be doing a review of that for YouTube? I actually already did. Ken. Oh, dumb. my bad. Uh-huh. Sorry. <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, so, yeah, Jordan McNay. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, this guy, he, you know, made Karatika or however the heck you want to pronounce it. Um, and also Prince of Persia. But guess what? He lost the original source code, which I didn't know about. Uh, actually learned about that on uh, this website, Apple 2Bits. Um, and, yeah, he uh, missed or he uh, lost the original source code for the game, Prince of Persia, and actually only now found it when his father sent him a box of uh, old Apple II discs and uh, just random stuff, and he found it on one of those discs. Lo and behold, Prince of Persia source code. And I just thought that was unbelievable that, um, I mean, that he had lost it all these years. Um, and I think it's pretty remarkable that he was able to, to find it again, of course. Well, not that he found it. Yeah, His father found it and mailed it to him, and his father didn't even know what was in the box. He just said, hey, son, I'm getting rid of your junk. Here it is, which is better than giving it to Goodwill. What I'm wondering is Prince of Persia has been ported ad nauseum and was even remade for the Xbox 360 arcade a couple of years ago. What were they basing all those ports and remakes on if they didn't have the original source code? Yeah, I don't know. if He, uh, he must have had some kind of revised source code. Uh, that he was using it, and uh, for whatever reason, just lost the original one. Well, would you have been able to really use much of the source code anyway? For, I mean, if you're programming a, a PC version of, of Prince of Persia, are you going to be able to use 6502 assembly source code at all for that? Hmm. I would think you could use his original sketches and diagrams and ideas, but I don't know that much of that co- much of that code would be very portable. That's true. And actually, Mr. Sid, back in October, released a Commodore 64 version of Prince of Persia without that original source code, but he was able to, I think, disassemble the original code. More important, he was able to extract the art assets, and he was able to use that in his C64 port. So probably that's what they were using every time they ported it to another system was the assets as opposed to the actual code. Yeah, I would think that that would be the important part. So what if that's the case then, it seems like having the original 6502 source code isn't very useful or practical or valuable. Well, probably not from a usability standpoint, certainly from a nostalgic and, and a wow, look, this is the source code standpoint, it's it's more interesting. Do you think he'll be posting it online for all to see? Well, uh, he indicated that he might do that in that in that blog entry. Um, I, I think the big challenge for him at this point is getting it off those discs. And there were plenty of comments, and I think, in fact, you commented there as well, Ken, uh, um, to use ADT Pro to, to extract the data from the original discs. Yeah, it's funny that there are so many different ways to get data off the Apple II. Juice just did an entire PDF on that t- subject. And yet, for people who aren't familiar with the Apple II or a part of its community, I can totally see how that would be an inscrutable challenge. And it's a good thing that uh, somebody like Jason Scott volunteered to help with this 
Not that he has any methods that are unique to him for extracting data off an Apple II floppy, but if I were Jordan McTenay and I had <laughs> the only copy of my source code, I wouldn't trust it to some guy who came commenting on his blog like I did. I would want somebody with a reputation like Jason. Yeah, and I feel like I've been so spoiled the last few months with the CFFA 3000 um, because I, I rarely even need ADT Pro anymore, and it's a great tool. Uh, don't get me wrong, but um, it's so rare that I have to use that now because I just use the USB stick. And uh, with, with Cider right. Press, I can basically look at exactly what I want to extract from the file. Right, but of course, for a Jordan, that would require he get an Apple II and a CFFA, which is currently sold out. And quite a bit more expensive than ADT Pro. Which also requires an you Apple II. You don't think II. Jordan still has an Apple II lying around, huh? That's a good point. I have no idea. He said in his blog post that's not like him to throw anything out. So I wonder if he has the Apple with which he programmed Prince of Persia. Yeah, it's probably it's probably it's probably awesome. sitting over in his father's garage, just like those discs. And hopefully, <laughs> unlike my father, he's not going to give it to Goodwill. We can only hope. Hmm. Little resentment there, bro. No, 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 no. I, I love my dad. Dad, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> like, like my dad's going to be listening to Apple II podcasts. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. He will if you tell him that you're a star now. Yeah, right. And I lied. Just one more quick gaming thing. Since we're on the subject of retro games, Google has launched an April Fool's prank as they do every year. And usually it's not necessarily a prank, but a new feature, which is really awesome. They've done that in YouTube where they can play videos like it's an old silent movie or you can play it upside down. And this year their prank is being applied in the context of Google Maps. It's a new feature in the upper right-hand corner where instead of choosing, like, Earth or Traffic or Map or all these other different views, you can choose Quest. And their philosophy is that there have been a variety of platforms for which Google Maps has been available, but they've always overlooked one of the most popular and best-selling computing devices of all time, and that is the 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System. So now you can make your Google Map look like Dragon Warrior or Dragon Quest, which is one of the original 8-bit RPGs. You click that button and everything gets represented using 8-bit graphics like it's an old Ultima game. And you can plot your maps and you see deserts and mountains and forests and it's really cool. I don't know how long this feature is going to be up. I hope they have a way to access it after April 1st. But for now, go and enjoy an April Fool's on Google Maps. You know, I want it to look like one of those old... Uh, Ultima 4 ASCII maps that you that you could print out. Oh wow, that'd be even awesomer. Especially yeah. if as, especially if they had different skins. Like there's a version of Ultima that lets you choose what version of Ultima you want to look like. Right. Yep. That would be cool. Yeah, that is just too awesome. I love how California has been condensed to like two pixels of grass and a couple trees. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> In their YouTube video, they actually show the directions from one place to the other being traversed as if you are a fighter in a role-playing game walking a path. And I don't know if that's an actual feature or if it's just for the video, but I would like to see my directions being traversed that way. So I think everyone is probably familiar by now with the uh, Virtual Apple II uh, online emulator where you can uh, load up disk images into your web browser and play the games um, uh, with an, an Apple IIGS interface. And I, and I wish that I knew how I came by this information, but I don't when I put it on a spreadsheet. Um, this was a couple of weeks ago, uh, so I apologize. But a guy named David Caldwell has uh, an, app, uh, an Apple II Plus emulator, it looks like. 
And it's got a neat skin. You've got the, the graphic of the old tilt screen, um, uh, monochrome Apple II monitor. Uh, and you can load up your disk images, um, and play them on an original Apple II. Uh, or, or you can load them up and play them on an 8-bit Apple II instead of the 2GS if that's how you want to play it. You can choose whether to use WebGL as the graphic rendering engine. Um, and it has some other functions built in. Uh, you can cold start it, uh, get uh, stats on the instruction sets. Um, and then he has a, a whole handful of discs that you can select from the menu. Looks like most of them are games, um, which I guess isn't surprising. Um, I don't know that you would want to be doing word processing and something like this, but um, <laughs> uh, so it's it's pretty neat. It's got an an interesting URL at porkrind.org, so check it out. Does it have VisiCalc? Um, I, it has the DOS 3.3 Master. I'm not seeing VisiCalc though. Then I'm not going to use it. Oh what, man, what is it with you and VisiCalc? Honestly, <laughs> there's nothing with me and VisiCalc. <laughs> hmm. There's nothing going on. There's nothing going on, Ken. It's not what you think. I haven't actually used many online Apple II emulators, except maybe Virtual Apple, which, like this one, has a lot of games. Under what circumstances would one use an online Apple II emulator? Any ideas, Brian? If they don't own the original hardware? Well, sure, but couldn't you then download an Apple II emulator and run it on your computer? I see what you're saying. Yeah, that that is a good question, and... uh I know there's like virtual Apple where you can, you know, play it online versus downloading something like uh, Kegs32 if you have a, a PC. Yeah, I'm not sure why one would prefer to do it online versus uh, download the actual uh, application. I mean, um, I guess if I guess perhaps if you're looking for a turnkey solution where you don't have to install anything, you just go to a website and bam, you're done. It's up and running. So I think it's just an ease of use thing where you know you can just load up the web page, select the game you want to play, and you're off and running. There's no configuration. There's nothing to download or install. You don't have to find disk images once because a lot of these emulators, you you got to go get the emulator, then you have to find the machine ROM, then you have to find the game you want to play, and it's it can be. Uh, daunting, I think, for somebody who just wants to to relive Lemonade Stand. Yeah, so but, just for your casual gamer, not like people like us that already you know have every single image, right? <laughs> yep. But on the downside to online emulation is you can't save projects and come back to them later. You can't save preferences. It's it's really when you close the tab, everything you're working on is gone. Yeah, which is why you wouldn't have you know your homework typed up in there or something. Although that'd be a great excuse. My emulator ate my homework. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys still use your Apple IIs for just like random stuff like uh, like a greeting card with print shop or something? I use it for word processing, games, and converting floppies to disk images. And that is the majority of the use. Yeah, I, I use it occasionally, you know, like print shop or, or other kinds of tools like that, just for kind of like uh, gags. Like if I'm going to print some greeting card, a birthday card, I'll actually print it out on an image writer. Uh, with perforated paper and the whole bit. And it's it's kind of fun to just do that every now and then. I'll often use an Apple II font on my Macintosh when I'm printing things out. But I don't actually do the printing on the Apple II. Ewan Wanup is back in the news and back on the podcast by releasing updates to his program Snap, which is an NNTP newsreader for the Apple II GS, and Safe 2, which is an FTP client for the Apple II. I don't know if perhaps we got on Ewan's bad side in our previous episodes by talking about how we felt change logs were expected, if not necessary, 
and we certainly meant no disparaging remarks toward you, and we think the work he does in the Apple II community is amazing. We're very grateful for every update he releases, whatever has changed. However, his latest updates have changed logs, so you can actually open up his Shrinkit archives and find text files that list every change he made. In Safe 2, uh, this is the first version to come out in the last month, so he's right on top of these things. And it looks like he's fixed uh, three or four bugs. However, in Snap, version 1.1.3, released this month, if I am reading this correctly, he changed 29 different things, most of them bug fixes. Holy cow. That, that is really impressive. And actually, these change logs go back to earlier versions. And it's possible that these change logs were in his archives previously, and we just failed to notice them, in which case we apologize. But uh, if this is a new feature, we're very grateful, Ewan. Uh, thank you for letting us know exactly what's changed. And it's just all the more impressive. I mean, that's actually a great reason to have a change log is because it really shows how much you're putting into this work. If these are you know, really minute bugs that take a lot of time and effort to nail down and... Or if you're just doing a lot of changes, and that's really impressive. And seeing these 29 different things, this is not just, oh, I had text that was left justified and now it's centered so it looks better. I mean, this is actual functionality. And I think it's just great that we have someone who's so dedicated to perfecting his product that he's willing to make that many changes on a regular basis. So thanks, Ewan. Yeah, I've been consistently uh, impressed with his products, and I'm looking forward to playing with these. Yeah, I've just recently uh, used SAM2, which is a an Apple IIgs mail client that he created. Um, and yeah, it, work, it works perfectly. I mean, uh, he wrote it, I think, uh, several years back. Um, and, and, you know, now a lot of mail providers, mo most mail providers like Gmail and Hotmail, uh, Yahoo, they all require SSL connections to access your POP3 mail accounts. Um, but you can still, you know, have, uh, you know, free private POP3 mail accounts and actually made one with uh, a website called LavaBit. Uh, and, yeah, I, I'm able to use uh, SAM2 perfectly, so it's pretty cool. Okay. Does it also support IMAP? Do you know? That I don't know. I'm not sure. Because hmm. I actually do still pop my mail, but I'm starting to feel limited by that. I'm thinking I should switch over to IMAP. Oh, that reminds me. Another item that Ewan brought to our attention, which we failed to mention last month, we were discussing whether or not the manual for Snap, which is his NMTP client, uh, featured an advertisement for Giga News, which is an NNDP news service provider. Uh, it turns out it's not an advertisement. It's a recommendation from Ewan, so there's no money being ex exchanged. It's a sincere and unofficial endorsement, if you will. Uh, so, yeah, you should uh, check out Giga News if you need a place to get onto the news group, Compsys Apple II. Yeah, I, I use them, and I've been very happy with their service. Oh, good. Yeah. You are trying to stay away from the Google? <laughs> from the Googles, yes. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's nice because you you have they have they offer different levels of service that you can buy. If if you're not interested in downloading uh, binaries, then you can get it. Um, and you just want access to the text only news groups. It's uh, it's very cheap. Um, and this way, I can use my own um, uh, Usenet client on on like on my Mac. I, I use Unison to to access. Compsys Apple II and the other news groups. That's by Panic, isn't it? Yes, it is, and uh, I love it. I think it's a great application. Yeah, they're a pretty slick company. I love their website, and they also demonstrate how to load a program onto an Apple II using the iPad's audio output. So huh. we so we have Apple II fans in Panic. 
uh, I haven't used Unison myself. The f- best news client I've ever used was Tin. Oh wow! Yep. And it's been a. I could never figure out how to compile Tin on OS X, and which I should be able to because I have Links and Pine running on there. I just I can't get Tin to work. Hmm. Uh, so if anybody wants to help me with that, drop me a line. And just before we go, one more news item about another podcast. Uh, yes, there are other podcasts. Earl Evans of the RetroBits podcast, which we have not heard from in the past year, unfortunately, although he does appear regularly on the Retro Computing Roundtable, he says that he's going to make another go of it. He says it's been a one-year hiatus, longer than he's planned, but he's planning to launch new episodes in April. Uh, I hope that's true. I remember his very last show that he did, which was about April of last year, he said that he was planning on doing the show uh, either like monthly or not at all. So he was going to make an effort to set a schedule and stick to it as opposed to recording whenever he wanted. And that, that sounded like a great plan. That I, schedule being not at all, apparently. Right. You know, unfortunately, uh, I, I've always been impressed that all three guys who do the Retro Computing Roundtable have their own shows, mm-hmm. theoretically. Uh, Carrington with 1 Megahertz, Earl with RetroBits, and David with Not Another Apple Podcast and the Stan Veet Podcast. And I, I, I just don't know where they find time for it because one podcast about retro computing is enough for me. Yeah, and, and I know that Carrington's been talking a lot on the RCR about bringing back 1 Megahertz, so it, it would be great if both of these two sort of appear around the, the same time. Mm-hmm. Of course, I, that means that I'll have to find more find time to listen to them, but um, I think maybe I can make that happen. Do you listen to any other retro podcasts? I really don't. I mean, this is a Open Apple podcast. is really the one that I constantly listen to. What's it worth to you? Hold on to your wallet as we look at the latest Apple pickings. And keeping with the gaming theme we have going this month, let's briefly mention two auctions that have already closed but are warranting a mention. We have Akalabeth, the precursor to Ultima by Richard Garriott. We've seen this item on eBay before. There have been quite a few floppies floating around. This one is unique because it is not a floppy. And in fact, this is one of the uh, cassette tape versions of Acalabeth, which, uh, according to the Ultima History websites that I was reading about, um, that I was reading up on this, according to them, this was what uh, Richard Garriott distributed before he signed with California Pacific. And there are supposedly only about 20 of these tapes that were made. His mother hand drew that the picture, the the artwork. Um, and then the, the manuals were handwritten and then he distributed these, uh, personally at the computer store where he was, I forget if he was working there or hanging out, but the estimates are between a dozen and 20 of these tapes were, were ever sold. Um, so, and this one closed for $1,325 and frankly, I think that's a little bit, I mean, that's, that's kind of a lowball price for what you're getting if this is a legitimate, um, item. So, so Mike, am I to understand this is rarer than the Waz edition? Apple 2GS? Um, yes, but just barely. Oh, okay. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking this thing is rarer than the Apple One. It is, yeah. Um, and, and while it's probably not quite as famous, I'd say this is certainly up there for, for collectors. Because the California Pacific, uh, one, when he signed with them, that was not, that was just the diskettes in the, in the baggies. And it looks like the seller actually bought this in 1994, uh, at a surplus flea market so he got a great deal on that it looks like he made a nice profit 
you know, when I was at Game Fest, one of the speakers was Don Daglow, who helped create AOL's Neverwinter Nights game. He said that one of his greatest contributions to video game history was when he was working at Electronic Arts. He tried to solicit this young programmer named Richard Garriott to abandon this crazy idea he had for a game called Ultima and come work for Electronic Arts. And Richard Garriott said no. And Don Daglow said, him saying no is the best thing I ever heard, <laughs> looking back. <laughs> you know, another weird thing, brief tangent, Nolan Bushnell was a speaker at GameFest, and he held up a breakout board, and he said... That board that was laid out was laid out by the same guy that did the computer lay the board layout for the Apple One. Which, as far as I know, is true, right? Yeah, it uh, was was. That's my understanding, right. yeah. Right, except the name that then came out of Nolan Bushnell's lips was... Huh? Pretty sure that's what he said, and I think maybe he was just a little confused. Yeah, it's, it's been a long time. And yeah. Ron, Ron Wayne's been in the press a lot lately, so... Yeah, and I don't think Ron Wayne did any boards. But anyway, back to eBay. There have been some other games that showed up there recently, and this auction is also closed, but it's a huge lot of games. They got Platoon, Kid Nicky, Wings, Prince of Persia, Load Runner, Movie Monster, Infiltrator, Platoon, and several others. And it went for about 244 bucks, which uh, for the 10 games total, that's $24 a game, which is about the going price on eBay, actually. So this, you know, if you're a gamer looking to kickstart your library, this would have been a good lot to go with. Yeah, and a couple in there you don't really see too often. Like which? Like uh, like a box copy of Load Runner, uh, Prince of Persia. Don't really see. That's true. You don't really see those every day. That's true. These did all come with their boxes, which is pretty cool. Yeah, there's some good games in here and some not so good games. <laughs> What's a not so good game? Uh, Kid Nicky, Platoon. Neither of those were very memorable. At least, at least for for me, they weren't ones that I enjoyed very much. Did you guys ever play The Last Ninja? No, didn't play that one. I couldn't get past, like, the third screen on that. Yeah, me neither. I, I could never really get into that game for the yeah. Apple II. Although, Mike, I'll say that it sounds like those games are pretty memorable because you remember them not being very good. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose that's true. I didn't even know Platoon and Kid Nicky came out for the Apple II. I only saw them on the 8-bit Nintendo. Well, they're Data East titles, and, and Data East never did a whole lot of good stuff. <laughs> Didn't they do Bad Dudes? Yes, they did. That's, that's always you... the game that comes to mind when I think of Data East. Yeah. Right. I mean, I know I'm bad enough to save the president. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember having a copy of that game, and if you look at the back of the box, the screenshots are not the Apple II. It's like the, the, the Commodore yeah. 64 or something. <laughs> and so I was like, wow, this looks like a sweet game. Pop it in. Wow. Yeah. If they didn't have a disclaimer, then that was false advertising. Yeah, I don't remember. It, it was just one of those games that, that came with that that huge lot that I had when I was a kid, when my dad brought home that Apple IIGS. Uh, that was just mm. one of the games that were, were in there. Whatever. I, I came across an item here that was of interest, and it, it surprised me that this one sold, actually. It was a, the Apple III, it was an Apple III computer, but it came in the original box, which you just don't see very often, and it was listed for $800 or $799.99. And I, I Originally put it in here to to mention just how rare it is to see one of these boxes, but uh, not thinking that it would actually sell because it also has a seventy five dollar uh, shipping price. But somebody actually did buy this. So oh wow, that, and it was just the computer, or it's it's the computer in the original box. Yeah, 
And Apple threes tend to fetch kind of a high price just because they were, they're, they're, didn't, they never sold very well and they weren't on the market very long. So there aren't too, there aren't as many of them out there uh, today. Um, and so to see one in a box, the box doesn't look like it's in great condition, but I, I guess if you're, if you're kind of trying to collect that sort of thing, it doesn't really matter that much. So do you think the $800 it went for is a fair price? If I, if I'd had $800 to spend, I probably would have bid on it. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. That one slipped away. I'm sure there'll be more because the, the, the unit itself uh, looks like it's in, I mean, there's nothing in it as far as rare cards or, or anything like that, but it's in uh, nice condition and it doesn't look like probably it saw a whole lot of use. Um, it may, it may have been one of those Apple threes that somebody bought and went, Oh my God, what did I buy? And then went and bought an Apple two. Yeah. Apple three is one of those things I, I eventually want to get. Uh, obviously I don't own one right now, but it's, I mean, if I were to pay the money right for it right now, I know I wouldn't be using it and I want to buy, you know, actual computers that I'm going to be operating on and stuff. And an Apple three, uh, it's a great collector's item, but I have a feeling it would just basically be on display or put in the closet or something. And I wouldn't want to to do that. I'd rather have it go sure. to a good collector that's actually mm-hmm. going to be using that system. You could donate it to Goodwill. You could. <laughs> <laughs> I could. That's very true. Or if you want to get some use out of your Apple III, you can buy a CFFA for it. And speaking of CFFA, there's a CFFA 3000, the second one in a relatively short period of time that's been on eBay. And it looks like this one sold for $271. Do you guys remember what the the, the actual uh, original CFFA 3000 sold for? I think it was $149. Sounds about right. And if you wanted the little switch that came with the the, the, the disc image switch that came with it, then that was an additional 20 bucks, I think. And I can't help but think, and I'll probably get kind of slammed for thinking this, but you know, anyone that buys you know multiple, like I think you could buy uh, two at the most, right? Uh, CFFA 3000s. I mean, if you buy a second one and and now you're selling it, I can't help but think that that was kind of the plan all along. If you buy one and then you realize you don't need it, I mean, you would know that you're going to need it, right? Or, or am I just off base? Well, some people, I think, don't plan as well as others. I think sometimes the lust for a new gadget is so great that you don't want to buy just one and then kick yourself for not having bought two when you really could use that many. So some people, they grab two and then find out, oh, I actually do need only one. So you don't think they were just flipping it for profit? It's certainly possible, but I would hope that's not the case. Yeah, I hope so, too. It's just kind of the cynic in me. But, yeah, I I could totally be wrong. And uh, they just, uh, yeah, they were eyes bigger than the stomach, and uh, they bought two of them, and they uh, discovered they only need one. Of course, if you read a2central.com, you you would know that Rich is planning another run for this summer, um, and that he's going to be keeping the original price of one hundred and forty nine dollars, and so you wouldn't spend two hundred and seventy one dollars on a second on a card on eBay. But some people just can't wait. I guess not. It's a it's you know, a great sure. it's a great card, and I I think it's definitely worth the the price one hundred and forty dollars. I think that's well worth it. Absolutely. Yes, I really should have gotten on the list for the first run, and I will certainly be on the list for the second run. Although. I have made a couple of tech investments lately. I just bought a DSLR camera, which I've never owned before, and I bought myself an iPad for the first time. So maybe I shouldn't be buying a CFFA as well. What uh, DSLR did you buy? I bought the Canon Rebel T2i. Not as familiar with Canon. I use Nikon. So, Is that why you bought Canon? <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, I've, I've traditionally bought Canons, and I just figured 
it be my first DSLR, there'll be less of a learning curve if it's a brand I'm familiar with. There are three kinds of Rebels, and this is the middle range one. Cool. Yeah, I might actually try using it to shoot video at K-Fest this year instead of my traditional Kodak ZI-8. We'll see. Uh, I'd probably buy a shotgun mic to go with it if that's the case. I would think you would need to, yeah. Yeah, I've I've tried a couple of different mics over the years, including a uh, remotely transmitted lavalier mic, and it, it just didn't really work out as well as I hoped. And how about the iPad? You got a new model one or you got a used one? Actually, I got the top-of-the-line iPad 1. So it's a 64-gigabyte Wi-Fi and 3G iPad one, nice. two years old. Yeah, very cool. I imagine you. I imagine you got a good deal on it now with the iPad three out. Compared to the original price of this model, I saved over five hundred bucks. Nice. Uh, I really don't need an iPad, which is one of the reasons I put it off for so long. But I've been doing more traveling for work lately. A few weeks ago, I saw four different airports in one day, and I've never seen so many iPads in use as I did on those days. They were practically every other airplane seat with people watching movies. I'm going to be doing some other traveling later this year to parts of the world where I don't want to be bringing a laptop Macintosh with me. So I figured having something lightweight and more affordable with 3G access, because I don't have a cell phone, mm-hmm. would be a good thing to have. Yeah, I take the light rail to work several times a week, and, and pretty much everyone on the on the, the commuter train has an iPad. Yeah, for killing time on the commuter rail, I'd, which we use here in Boston as well, I would rather be reading a book, and that tends to be what I do. And if I lose that on the train, I can live. But I'm probably going to be away from my desk for like two weeks straight later this year. And I just just wanted something electronic to, you know, check the weather, translate some languages, whatever. No, sure. Makes total sense. And yeah, I'm, I'm probably the only person I know that, that travels like I do, you know, almost every other week and doesn't own an iPad. I just yeah, bring my laptop and watch videos on it. And after the power dies in three hours, I'm pretty much stuck reading books. You don't have an iPad? Nope. Hang on, button, Ken, right now. Click. <laughs> yeah, so I found a kind of an interesting item. It's an Apple 2GS watch. Uh, it says it's circa 1986, so I'm guessing it's some kind of promotional thing that was probably given to Apple employees, uh, but I'm just speculating. I really have no idea. Uh, never seen it before, but it's got <laughs> the, you know, the colored uh, Apple logo and uh, says Apple 2GS on the face of the watch. So kind of interesting. Uh, buy it now price, $399. Now, I've seen other rainbow Apple logo watches, wristwatches before. I don't remember if I've seen a, a 2GS specific one or not. Um, the $400 asking price seems kind of high, but it looks pretty nice. Yeah, and they don't even let you make an offer on a lower price. Hmm. Yeah, for, $400, but, but, but free. Free shipping. From Canada. Oh, well, then I'll bid right now. Yeah, not before I do. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little steep. I'm guessing that, you know, it'll probably just, it won't sell, and I maybe will have a, a, you know, a offer price of maybe 199 or 100 and something that it'll sell for. Well, I think I'm going to add this item to my watch list. Uh, <laughs> you yeah, yep, yep, yep. Very clever, Ken. Every now and then I got a good one. I'm still waiting for the... For, the, for this episode. Bazinga. And finally today we have a, well, this is a point and laugh auction. And we don't, and I don't know how I feel about doing too many of these, but this one's kind of out there. So uh, this is the this is a collection of the uh, original Open Apple uh, newsletters that were produced back um, in the, the 90s. Um, Wait, we have a newsletter? 
not us. This is this was Tom Weishar's newsletter that he put out after uh, Soft Talk folded, and and he wanted to continue publishing. Oh right, uh, it's right. part of A2 Central and Open Apple, and there were a bunch of um, wait A2 Central. So this is Sean's newsletter. Stop it. Oh. Anyway, so it stole your your podcast name before you had a podcast. It retroactively stole our podcast. Yes, I hate retcons. Gosh. Yeah, so selfish. And originally, the seller wanted a thousand dollars for the the complete set, and it looks like there are some discs included. And it was on sale for for five hundred dollars if you acted now. And, but it looks like the price has been permanently lowered to a a cool four hundred dollars um, U.S. So, if you're really really desperate for these and you can't find them elsewhere online, then you can you can buy the entire collection of Open Apple newsletters. Well, that's the end of our eBay auctions for this month, which also brings us to the close of another monthly episode of the Open Apple Podcast. Brian, how has your time on our show been? It's been great, guys. I do want to thank you again for inviting me on the show. Definitely appreciate that. I'm a big fan of the show, so this is a very cool experience. Well, it's great to have you as a contributor as well. What do you think we should do differently about the show? How can we make it better? You know, I don't know if there's a there's a way you can make it better. I think it's great as it is. I think you guys really kind of have a comprehensive look, and it, it's kind of different every episode uh, of just different aspects of the Apple II uh, and the, the community that's supporting it. The one thing that I would like to see come back uh, would be the, the free giveaways, uh, but that obviously depends on, you know, people being able to provide you with items to uh, to give away. You know, we didn't actually have uh, a problem finding items to give away. It was more that we weren't getting a whole lot of participation in the contests. Well, that's okay by me. Less tree and less competition. Well, you said we should bring back the free giveaways. What if we combined that with eBay? Instead of doing free giveaways, we just sold stuff on the show. <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't mind offsetting our hosting fees a bit, guys. Come on. That's right. Uh, before we go this month, I do want to give a shout-out to our friends at the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. For those who didn't see the mention on our blog, I had the pleasure to appear on this weekly video game podcast based out of Phoenix, Arizona. One of the two hosts is an old friend of mine from the CompuServe days. He invited me onto the show, and we chatted about video games, but we also surprisingly spent a lot of time talking about the Apple II. I actually apologized to him during one of the intermissions, saying I didn't mean to make this into an Apple II podcast, but he was cool with it. And uh, the other host, uh, Ara, was actually an Apple II veteran, and he said, Ken, did you know that John Carmack and John Romero are veterans of an old publishing company called Softdisk? And that was totally unscripted. I'm like, I did know that. And did you know that one of them is going to be at our Kansas Fest convention as the keynote speaker? So it was kind of cool to uh, chat with them because even though, even despite that background, they're not modern day Apple II users. So to get on a show about people who were just baffled that there are still people out there who use the Apple II was a lot of fun. Nice. And uh, so that's Ara and Alon that you heard as our bumper earlier. And Maybe you'll be hearing from them again. And I hope to be hearing from Brian again as well, especially if you are able to make it to Kansas Fest, if your busy work and travel schedules permit. Yeah, I definitely, I'm keeping my fingers crossed uh, that it, it will open up and uh, I'll be able to get out there. And uh, Sorry, you guys. Uh, you and the audience don't hear it, but I actually uh, I had to get these guys to bleep me a bunch of times because I, I just couldn't keep my mouth shut, uh, you know, my potty mouth. Um, but, um, <laughs> but I appreciate your guys' patience with me, and I uh, hope that uh, it won't discourage you from... Uh, inviting me back on the show sometime. You know, until then, I'll just appreciate the opportunity to hear your dulcet tones every week on YouTube. Perfect. Great. Thanks for being on the show, Brian. We'll see you around. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, Brian. Good night, Mike. Good night, Ken. 
This has been the Open Apple Podcast. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback by visiting us on the web at www.open-apple.net. Did you have some method of tap, tap, tapping here so I can start saying no, no, no?